Good morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, starting in the first verse. Before we dive into that passage, I um, just want to say a couple thank yous. First of all, if you have been serving either here at Mercy Hill or especially with Mark 12, sacrificing some sleep, I just want to say thank you. Your sacrifice is worth it. Uh, I know you lose a little bit of sleep, but uh, it is well worth it. Perry today is actually at North Bullet Christian. They've asked him to come and share a little bit about Mark 12 Ministries, and so I'm really looking forward to how God is going to use that ministry in the near future and excited about uh, the possibilities. And so continue to pray for them and for us as we move forward. Also heard uh, this morning, Wayne told me that 30 new IMB missionaries were sent out uh, here recently, and so we continue to to see even in the midst of everything that's going on in our world, God is still moving in mighty ways. And so we praise God for that. Today, we are going to be taking a look at a very well-known passage, Moses and the burning bush, right? You've probably heard of this story before. Before we dive into it, let me kind of share how we got there, though, just as a reminder. And so, of course, Exodus starts off with the Israelites in Egypt, and they have been growing. God's hand has been in their lives and is evident. They've been fruitful and multiplying. God is fulfilling his promises here to to grow them into a great nation that would be a blessing to all nations. And this growth, though, has also caused some fear in Pharaoh's heart. The king of Egypt is fearful of their power. And so he starts acting very shrewdly to to try to minimize their power and, and minimize their growth. And so he turns them all into slaves and he sends out this crazy edict that all the baby boys need to be thrown into the Nile River and be drowned. Now, God seems to have a little bit of a sense of humor. And Moses, the baby, not only is saved, but he actually gets raised in the, in the palace by Pharaoh's daughter, of all people. And the story then fast-forwards. 40 years. And now Moses is one of the princes, he's a prince in Egypt, and yet he looks at himself still as a Hebrew. And so he goes out to see how the Egyptians are treating the Hebrews, and he finds one of the taskmasters beating one of the Hebrews. And so this angers him, of course, and he ends up murdering, killing this Egyptian, which Pharaoh is not pleased with. And so he sends out a, a call to have Moses killed. Moses, of course, runs away. He flees to Midian, which he spends the next 40 years as a shepherd. Finds a wife, has a child. And meanwhile, we learned last week, over this past 40 years, the Egyptians have continued to oppress the Israelites. and They've been crying out to God. The, we learned last week that the, the Pharaoh that tried to kill Moses has now passed away, but the Egyptians still have the Israelites in slavery. And so they've been crying out to God for help. Well, God's heard their prayers. He's seen their affliction. He knows their pain, and he plans to do something about it, which is where we pick up this week. Now, in chapter 3, today's passage, very well known, even if you weren't raised in church, you've probably heard of Moses and the burning bush, right? Well, the the chapter starts with Moses, this shepherd, just having a normal day, okay? He's watching the, the flock of his father-in-law, which Moses has now pointed out twice that his father-in-law is a priest of the Midianites, which I think is significant because, the, the, so the Midianites, interesting history here, they come from Abraham, 
Okay, Abraham, after his first wife Sarah passes away, he gets married again to a, a lady named Keturah, and they have six sons. One of them was Midian. And so it's interesting, the Midianites were actually the ones that Joseph's brothers sold him to, and then they sold him, Joseph, to Egypt. And so the Midianites actually play a role in both the Israelites going into Egypt and also coming out of Egypt. So Moses here is leading this flock of his father-in-law, and he leads them to the west side of the wilderness to Mount Horeb, which we, found out, we find out later is also Mount Sinai. This is where Moses would receive the Ten Commandments. This is where Moses encounters God. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dig into this passage together. Father, right now, more than anything, more, this is what we need more than anything. We need your spirit to help us encounter you through your word. And so I plead with you right now that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the significance of this passage, and that we would be in awe of your glory. We would be reminded of your promises. We would have a deeper sense of your calling and a deeper sense of you being with us in that calling. I pray that we would learn to tremble at your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning and yet not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place you, on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I'm going to stop there. This is the outline of the text, the outline of the sermon that we're going to be heading 
there's three things that I, I see in this text that God is calling us to. One, to tremble at His holiness. Two, to listen to His revelation. And third, we're called to obey His commission. And so let's start by talking about trembling before a holy God. And so here we see the angel of the Lord appears to Moses. Now that phrase is a little confusing, right? What's he mean by the angel of the Lord? That's a phrase that's actually very common in the Old Testament. It occurs uh, 57 times in the Old Testament. But it sounds like this angel is somebody distinct from God. And yet you notice here that he doesn't say an angel of the Lord. He says the angel of the Lord. And then he goes on to make it very clear that this angel of the Lord is actually the Lord. This is God. And this is the pattern that we see in Scripture. When the angel of the Lord is mentioned, he's often referred to as God. And we ought to ask the question, why is this? We We ought to wrestle with, okay, why is God depicted this way? Why not simply just say, the Lord appeared to Moses in the bush. What is, what, is, what, are the, what is being communicated here by saying the angel of the Lord instead of just simply saying the Lord? Well, the word angel means what? Messenger. And a messenger can either be a person or a messenger can be simply a device, a tool that one uses to convey a message. For example, Facebook, right, has a texting app called what? messenger, right? It's a tool, it's a device that we use to message, send a message to somebody, to convey a a message to them. So a messaging app or tool is something that we use all the time, right? For convenience sake, for, it's a whole lot quicker. I'm glad I don't have to travel six hours to communicate with my parents. Sometimes though we use a messenger because there's a physical barrier between us and the person we're trying to communicate with, right? And so maybe they're overseas, maybe they're at work, maybe they're, it's too cold to get there outside, maybe they're in prison, but we send a messenger sometimes because there's a physical barrier between us and the person we're trying to communicate with. Likewise, God uses a messenger with humans because there's a barrier between us and God. It's called sin, right? God is a holy God and we, and we are sinful people. And Scripture makes it clear, if a sinful person sees God in all of his glory, he can't survive. You think about Moses, what what does he do when he finds out that he's talking to God? What does he do? He hides his face, right? Because he knows. knows, Intuitively, he knows this. And this is the normal response of humans who encounter God. Isaiah encounters God, and what does he do? He says, woe is me! For I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Later on in Exodus, Moses has the, the gall to ask God, can I see your glory? And God responds very graciously to him and said, I will, let, I will allow my goodness to pass before you. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to let all my glory pass before you, because later on he says, look, Moses, I, I, I'm not going to let you see my face, For if you see me, you will surely die. And so this is what God does. He puts his hand over... First he has Moses hide in this little crack in the the mountain. And then he puts his hand over him. And he removes his hand just for a moment so his backside could pass by Moses. Because that's all Moses could handle. God speaks to Moses through a messenger. Because Moses could not handle seeing him in all of his glory. It's kind of like... 
God is using FaceTime in a sense. This is not the greatest illustration. This is the best I could come up with. Um, we use FaceTime when we can't be near somebody in person with them, but we want to experience a little bit more of their presence, right? I, I want to at least see their, their face. And so we don't actually get to see them in all of their glory by being with them, but we at least get to see a representation of them, a likeness of them in the screen. And so God wants to get the attention of Moses here. Okay, this is a little bit more than just God speaking to Moses in an audible voice. Okay, he wants Moses to feel a little bit more of his presence, a little bit more of his holiness. And so he says to Moses, don't come too close, and I want you to take off your sandals, for you're on holy ground. There's nothing special about the ground here. The fact is that he was in the presence of God, and taking off your sandals was a sign of humility, a sign of respect. When we stand before a holy God, we ought not be flippant. We ought to be respectful. We ought to, we ought to be reverent. In fact, we ought to tremble. Psalm 99.1, we read earlier, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. Psalm 114.7, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of God, Jacob. Isaiah 66.2, God says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And this is not just an Old Testament thing. You come to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you understand the holiness of God and you understand your own depravity, when you're in his presence, you're going to tremble. And this is not something that we ever grow out of. In fact, as you grow and mature as a Christian, you, you tremble more in the presence of God. But if you're a child of God, if you've trusted in him for salvation, if the spirit of God is in you, you're not trembling because God is your enemy. You're trembling because you know that God was your enemy, but he's redeemed you and he is still infinite in power and holiness. Let me try to illustrate this. And so my my wife shares uh, the story often of how God gave her this experience that really helped her to understand what it means to fear God. Uh, it was when she was in college, she was in Colorado on a missions trip, and, and uh, they went whitewater rafting. And they were in like a, what was it, class four, class five rapids? Class five rapids, okay, so, the, or class four. Anyhow, it was a lot of rapids, okay? There's a lot of rapids, and her raft flips over. They all fall out. She gets stuck underneath the raft. Uh, her, and the, one of the instructors was under there. She recalls the instructors just like screaming directions at them of how to get out of, from underneath the raft. And there's a few of them that are stuck underneath there. Eventually, she gets her, her, gets her orientation and, and, and she is able to swim down and, and out and, and, and can breathe. And, and somebody throws her a rope and eventually she is saved from the wrath of those rapids. And so she gets over, I'm sure, she got over to the side of the, the shoreline of the, of the river and she sits down, and do you think that she just stopped trembling at that point? No, no way. I mean, you go through something like that, and the, the fear sticks with you. I mean, the, the cold water, the gasping for breath, the darkness, the weakness, the vulnerability is still in your mind. But now you're safe 
You're, you're on the shore. You're, you're totally secure, but the trembling remains, but it's different than what it was like when you were under the raft, though, because you know what you've been saved from. And eventually, that trembling turns into joy. There's a joyful trembling that happens. You see, trembling before a holy God is not the absence of joy. In fact, it's the deepest kind of joy because you know what you've been saved from. Philippians 130. I'm sorry, Psalm, Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Uh, if you, O oh Lord, could mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There's forgiveness that you may be feared. Listen, this is why we sing Amazing Grace. Because once we were lost, once we were, were dead in our trespasses and our sins, once we were children of wrath, but God, Ephesians 2, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Yes, we tremble in the presence of a holy God, but it is a joyful trembling because we know what we have been saved from, the wrath of God that we deserved. Psalm 211 summarizes it really well. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And so when we come in here on a Sunday morning and we, we read that call to worship and we, we read from God's word because we recognize that it is God who is calling us to worship him, there ought to be this sense where we are crossing a threshold and we are now on holy ground. There ought to be a trembling. Corporate worship is an experience of us, us coming together as a church family to experience the living God, the holy God. Here, if anywhere in the Christian life, there should be a proper trembling as we worship him. Psalm 96, 9, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. God calls us to joyfully tremble, him, tremble before him in worship because we're in the presence of a holy God. Next, we're, we're called to listen to the revelation of God. The only reason we would know that our God is holy and that we ought to tremble before him is because he's revealed himself to us. And God reveals himself here to Moses in a very miraculous way, right? And this is not the norm. Uh, sometimes we wish that God would just show up to us in a burning bush and tell us what to do, right? Um, we're probably thankful he doesn't do that. It, it looks a little scary. <laughs> but notice, uh, Moses is not looking for this to happen, though, okay? He's not waiting around, uh, praying fervently, God, show up in a, in a bush, okay? He's, it, it's in the mundane things that Moses is doing here that God shows up miraculously. And that's really the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. The vast majority of the time that God comes and reveals himself in some miraculous way, it's not when people are looking for it. It's just they're going along being faithful to God. It's in the mundane moments that often we experience a miracle. A burning bush experience is not the norm, though. Okay? God communicates with us uh, through his word. This is a specific and a very special moment in the redemptive history, and I think God wants us to marvel at it. He wants us to know about it. 
But God in His infinite wisdom has given us a revelation through His Word. God's primary way of communicating to us is through this, through the Scripture. Everything that God requires of you for salvation and for living a godly life is found right here. It's found right here. It can either be found in here or it can be induced from here. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, the Apostle Paul, this is his final letter, last letter. He's writing it to Timothy. He's kind of pa- passing on the baton of ministry to Timothy. This is his last words to Timothy, and, and this is what he says. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through, the fa- through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. I'm thankful that God's primary way of communicating with us is through words. He hasn't left us to try to just interpret mystical experiences to, to, to know what he requires of us. God reveals himself through, his, even in this example of this experience that Moses has, this miraculous experience that Moses had, God still speaks to him with words that he can understand so he knows what to do. On this side of the cross, we have an even better word from God. In fact, the word becomes man, John 1.1, dwells among us. One of the names of Jesus is the Word of God. Why is that? It's because, first of all, it's because God's Word has power behind it to create. The universe was spoken into existence by God. But also, He's called the Word because He reveals to us who God is. Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.1, the book of Hebrews is basically a book just making the point that Jesus is better. And it starts off by saying this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the power of His Word. As believers, we ought to be people of the Word. Because God is still speaking to us through the Word. It's interesting, also in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 7, the author says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95 from the Old Testament, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Notice how he says that. He doesn't say, remember how the Holy Spirit used to speak. He says, The Holy Spirit speaks now and continues to say. And then later on in the next chapter of Hebrews 4, verse 12, we read the word, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Jesus proclaimed that man does not live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. And so yet our our bodies will wither away. Our physical bodies will eventually die after a few days of not 
having food, but our souls, if they're not nourished, will perish forever. We need, there, there's nothing more essential in your life than God's word. God has given us his word as a gift that we should know him and that we should know his will. When he speaks, and we see this in this example, he often, he basically does three things, at least three things. When he speaks to Moses here, what does he do? He reveals something true about himself, okay? He, he talks to Moses about his holiness. He, he shares with him some of his compassion. He tells him, look, I'm the God of your, your forefathers. Next week, we're going to see that he actually shares his name with Moses. So he reveals something about himself. Secondly, he reminds Moses of his promises to deliver his people, of his mission. And then third, he commissions Moses to play a part in the redemption. That's what God does when he speaks to us. He, he does those three things often. He, he shares something about himself. He, he reminds us of his promises and his promise to redeem us. And then he, he calls us to be a part of that redemption process. Which brings me to the last point. I, I want you to see in this passage that we also ought to obey the commission of God. Which is interesting because Moses questions it, doesn't he? He, he, in fact, we're going to see him question it uh, over and over. And personally, that, that's actually a little bit of a comfort for me. I remember when we first were starting Mercy Hill, and I did not feel adequate to, to be uh, a church planner at that, at that time. And, and uh, an older, wiser gentleman reminded me that, okay, Moses also doubted himself. But, but here's the thing. I came to realize that I wasn't simply doubting myself, I was actually doubting God. And I love how God responds to Moses in this passage, so graciously. He says to Moses in verse 12, what? I will be with you. In other words, you don't need to fear Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he's nothing. I will be with you. You need not fear. Who does that sound a whole lot like? Jesus. When he gives us the Great Commission, what does he say? I will be with you to the end of the age. Hudson Taylor, great missionary to inland China, he once said this. He says, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. I don't know where you're at today, what God's called you to. Maybe you're a new parent and... You're wrestling with, am I adequate as a parent? This is a good reminder. If God's called you to that, he's going to be with you. If God calls you to something, he's going to be with you. If maybe he's calling you to a new ministry and you're wondering, okay, how is this ever going to work out? How are, we going to, how are we going to do this? God is with you. If he calls you to it, he's going to be with you. If you're going off to school here soon, Hannah, and God's called you to a different mission field, know that God's going to be with you. That's a great promise for us to hang our, our hearts on. We can be confident as we obey the great commission that God will be with us. He does not leave us alone. So let's pray that God would help us to believe that with all of our hearts. Father, I do pray that you would help us to just be in awe of your glory, that we would tremble before your holiness, that we would listen to your revelation and that we would be reminded of your promises and we would be obedient 
to your commission and emboldened to go out and share the gospel because we know that you are with us to the end of the age. And so we need your help. In Jesus' name.